Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. And before we get any further, let's not bury the lead, boys. We're going to New York Comic Con. Woo! New York, baby, greatest city in the world. Hey, I'm walking here. Etc. Uh yeah, Gabagool. we're gonna got a goal. We're gonna be there. <laughs> Man, a good, please. <laughs> Come on. Don't don't try and out Italian pronounce the guy. <laughs> Who's legit? Uh, you know, come on. I was just teasing my mom yesterday because we're ordering dinner and she goes, give me some mozzarella. Like, fuck you, mom. You're born in this country. Mozzarella. Call it what it is. Anyway, uh, we're going to New York Comic Con. Zach, have you booked your flight yet? Um, no, only because I haven't decided when I'm going to leave. Okay. But... We, we'll talk about that later. But Yeah, anyway, yeah. But we're going to be, the three of us will be at the con at least Friday and Saturday. Um, so if there's enough uh, of, of you listeners that are going to be there and you want to meet up or something, let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly, uh, stop by and say hi. So we're going to be doing interviews and just kind of hanging out at the con. So come see us. That should be super fun. Um, Vince has been to New York a couple of times, but this is Zach's first time in the Big Apple. Mm-hmm. Vince is going to – I know, Brian, you've probably got some ideas, but I think Vince is really going to be my tour guide. He's got the whole thing planned. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to paint the town with my buddy Zach, take him to all the great Sparrow locations around the yeah. city, a uh, little place called Starbucks. I don't know if you've ever – I've never been to a Starbucks. There you go. We don't have those in middle America. Yeah. We don't. We're gonna we're gonna go to a Starbucks, Zach, and then we're gonna get coffee, and then we're gonna go out the door, and we're gonna go directly across the street to another Starbucks, and it's gonna blow your fucking mind. I just uh, can we can we go to the Pokemon Center so I can go in there and complain about how it's not as good as the ones in Japan? We can absolutely do that. In fact, we yes, can. we're gonna do that. Yeah. Let I'm me look at the map. Hang on. <laughs> I have determined that we're going to need nine weeks to get all the stuff done that we want to get done in the three days you guys are going to We're actually here. not going to New York Comic Con. Um, <laughs> sorry. We're, we're going to stay at Brian's house and um, we're going to we, watch. We're going we to show him 72 hours of Dragon Ball or something. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know what we legit should do? Uh, Multiversity alum. James Johnston leads a New York City superhero tour. <laughs> we should take his superhero tour. <laughs> yes. Yes, I want to see. Not... I want to see where Spider-Man uh, dropped in front of that American flag. Yep. You two can jerk off where he kissed Kristen. Kristen Dunst upside down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're gonna be at New York Comic Con. Uh, let us know if you're gonna be there. We'll hope to see you guys there. Um, anyway. Let's get to this week's comics. We got uh, a bunch to get through, and uh, we'll start with Action Comics, number 1002. It's very weird to say over 1,000 for a comic. Um, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. Uh, this comic made some waves this week because of uh, a comment that a villain says in it. But we'll get yeah, yeah. Um, I... Uh, for the most part, 
I am continuing to enjoy this series. I thought the first page of all the post-it notes was pretty funny. <laughs> there, there were some good post-its there. Um, yeah, uh, Vince, you were probably the most down on the first issue of Action. What did you think of the second issue? Um, I I like this. Uh, we'll talk about that problematic element later. Yeah, um, yeah. but but I like overall I like the story. Um, I thought it was uh, another another thing about the post-it notes in the beginning here. Um, I thought that was a great page. I saw one article that was like, well, this clearly plants uh, Bendis's Action Comics run in the Doomsday Clock timeline or something like that because of this what is the Superman theory post-it right. note. Yeah. First of all, uh, we already know Doomsday Clock is part of everything. I wish right. people would just stop like trying to like what are they trying to do by saying, "Oh, this is part of Doomsday Clock." Well, like it's meant to be part of the the mainline DCU, right? Right. We already know that. Second of all, so I guess like Akira is also mainline DC now, and Jim Lee is a character, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's jokes. Yes, it's jokes, people. Good God, can we just treat jokes and references like jokes and references? Yeah. <laughs> for crying out loud. Um, but I thought the 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 <laughs> the story was really good. I'm I'm warming up a little bit to the conflict. And remember, I I said that the conflict in the first issue of this wasn't as interesting to me with that weird group with like, um. Yeah, yogurt, the, yogurts, the and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the yogurt from Spaceballs, unfortunately. No. Um, I wish Na- they pronounced it yogurt here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'd have like fifty dialogue balloons explaining that. Yep. You mean you mean yogurt? No, yogurt. Like the like the Dannon stuff? No, no, yogurt. Yeah. And Bendis wouldn't be able to help himself. Of course. Manhattan Guardian shows up. At least a version of Manhattan Guardian. We just say Guardian. <laughs> well, I think they're two different characters, though, right? Right, yeah. It's explained that it's not, like, the Guardian. No, I believe this no, is No, I the thought Guardian. it was the Guardian. It is the Guardian, yeah. Well, isn't it, that's Manhattan Guardian, though, right? No, there's, no, so there's the, there's the Guardian. We just say Guardian. And then... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I... I I think the Manhattan Guardian, like in Seven Soldiers, is a completely different character. Well, I know I it's I know I know it's a different like, guy, but it's like it it's not the you're telling me it's not the same mantle because that's what I'm. I thought they were different. Oh well, they look really similar. They do look similar. This is this is definitely the Guardian that's a Metropolis-based character. That okay. was like that was like the second or tertiary lead in the Death of Superman stuff. Sure, I guess I just always like. I always thought it was not necessarily like a legacy thing, but like multiple versions of the same thing. Well, he he is it's a clone. Probably... He, he is a clone, so they might be clone versions of the same. Okay, so <laughs> they might be, but this is not that one. Yes, I understand. I understand we the just guy... say guardian. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are pedanting me right now because. I understand that the guy who's dressed up as the guardian is Well, not... I feel like there's yeah, I I I feel, I I know that you know that. Yes, okay. And I know and and yes, I know that like in Seven Soldiers it's called Manhattan Guardian and they don't refer to him as that here cuz it, it wouldn't make sense 
if this is a Metropolis based character, but like I just I'm all I'm saying Guardian is Guardian is a DC Comics character created by Grant Morrison and Cameron Stewart based on the character of the Guardian. Yes, okay, that's what I'm saying. Like I thought uh, I thought they were just they're versions of the same concept, like the same you know, it's like the different uh I'm trying to think of an example like So is that like saying um It's like how there's different Sandman characters, you know? Okay, okay, here we go, though. He is not a clone. He was just inspired by the Guardian name. Okay. Because because uh, his friend had bought, or I guess um, he bought the rights to the name Guardian from Project Cadmus. Great. This is way too much about Guardian. <laughs> hey, he's one of my favorite, like, uh, G-level characters, so uh, I'm just happy to see him here. Yeah. Zach, what do you what do you think of this mess? So I liked the one thousand and one, I think, more than you guys did. Uh huh. And I didn't like this as much. Really? Dang. I don't think. Um, I do love the Guardian showing uh-huh. up. Um but I think well, okay, no. So I feel okay, compared to this month's issue of Superman, I didn't like this as much, if okay. that makes sense. And I think that's like that's kind that, of how yes. I'm c- kind of comparing them. It's like I think the first month I liked action a little bit better. This month I like Superman better. Okay. Um so a couple of things I that I I thought that Superman flying into space to punch a meteor or two, it was a little cokey. Um, like when he's mad, but that's a perfectly Superman thing to do. That's yeah, I like that part. That Um, is a very like. Weren't there times? I I can't name a specific time, but weren't there times in like the Christopher Reeve Superman um movies where he would get mad and he would just go like uh freak out somewhere? Like I'm 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 picturing a scene where he like got pissed and I believe you're. Possibly thinking of when he, <laughs> in the greatest scene in cinematic history, where in Superman 3, Poor, looks, yes. where he like splits into Clark Kent and mean Superman. Okay. I believe right before then he like screams and then splits in half. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. So he clearly, uh, that's what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's Richard Pryor? <laughs> um, so overall, like, you know, like I said, I, I think this is a pretty solid issue. I think Bendis really has a good handle on both the Superman and Clark parts of his life. And I think that uh, he probably has a better handle on those two parts better than almost anybody not named Peter Tomasi has had in the last five or eight years. Like, I think both he and Tomasi do a good job of of showing an accurate Clark and an accurate um, Superman. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like in the New 52... It was very hard for them, for anyone to get both of those tones correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah, yeah. You know, go ahead, Zach. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I was thinking today about how um, I was having this like private argument with myself about whose Batman run will be like considered the most influential. In like the years to come between Morrison Snyder and Tom King, like which is most important and most influential. And then I was thinking how there have not been any comparable Superman runs of that um, length or 
um, kind of like singular focus. In a long time. In a long time. Like, you know, we had the Tomasi Jurgens era and Rebirth, which still, you know, wasn't as cohesive or or um or as long as any of those Batman runs. And then before that, you know, the new fifty two was kind of just a whole hot mess, hodgepodge. And then before that, the closest thing was the Johns era, but even that was kind of a you know, that got he left and got left it to a, a number of other creators. So it, it's been a long time since we've had a, a Superman series with a real singular vision that will probably go on for a long time. Yeah, I'll say the closest thing, <clears throat> excuse me, we had was like the new Krypton era. Right. But that that's, wasn't yeah. one voice. That was, exactly. that was more of a, a really, inter- like that was a good interconnected Superman universe. Yeah. And that's different than a singular run. You're right, Zach. And that was surprise. That was surprisingly cohesive, all things considered. Yeah. I it thought. really was. Yeah. I, I mean, are, are we talking as far, like, would you consider the Jurgens like death of Superman era? Cause that's really three or four writers too. That's like, uh, that's Louis Simonson mm-hmm. and Jurgens and, um, oh, there's one other guy. Fuck me. Uh, it'll come. To uh, me. Stern? Roger Stern. Thank you. Yeah. Roger Stern. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, are we talking back to, like, John Byrne? Well, I For... think I think you can count something like the like the Death and Return of Superman thing as, even if it was multiple, right? Like, then I then I would count New Krypton also. Yeah. Yeah, but but no no real like singular creator kind of calling the shots for a long period of time yeah i mean i think we forget because of how uninspired they were but like their detective comics ran alongside snyder's uh, right right batman and 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 but there wasn't a lot of like crossover or anything that's true right yes i see what you're saying yes yep um so it's interesting now that we are kind of finally getting that with Superman, with Bendis really kind of calling the shots. Not that he's doing it alone, you know. Um, you've got Andrako off doing Supergirl um, and that sort of thing. But it, I just think it's interesting um, to me. Yeah. Um, I'm getting some big Carrie Russell in the Americans vibes from this Lois Lane scene at the end. <laughs> Do I have either of you watched The Americans? No. No. Okay. Well, the one of the fun things about The Americans is cuz they're playing Russian spies, right? They're constantly getting into like bad wigs and bad disguises. Mm-hmm. And this absolutely looks like something Carrie Russell would wear to try to pass as somebody else <laughs> in that show. It's like it's uncanny. Um so that was that was neat. All right, wanna... let's let's talk about the thing. <clears throat> well, no, no, no. Let's talk about Lois Lane some more here. Okay. Um, do you guys think this is really Lois Lane? I think it's a fake Lois Lane. I think it is too. But there's a problem with that. The problem with that is if Clark showed up to see her and she said, "Hi, honey," that would be different. But this is. Superman showing up, and no one aside from, like, Justice League members know that Superman is Clark Kent and therefore married to Lois Lane. So it, it sort of limits the the people who could be behind this. Mm, not really. 
this is comics. They could just like oh, half half acidly wave away like she's Mr. Mitzelpillick. <laughs> she's yeah. Superboy Prime. Yes. He's, yep. <laughs> right again. Yep. No, honestly, do you guys think this is real Lois? Zach, what do you think? Uh, I kind of I I I don't know. I both hope and hope I hope it is, and then in some ways I hope it's not. So I, I was thinking about this today after I read the issue. I think on one hand you could argue that the only way that Clark would let John go is if Lois went with him. And so they could pull away and she'd be like, I'm not doing this. Drop me off. I just needed to get John on this trip. Mm. And so that's why she's staying away because she has to, she has to convince Clark that John is with her and therefore safe. Mm, that's that's the, that's the only way I really see this working. If it's really Lois. I, I like that take. And I feel like that's in line with what Bendis has done so far. You know, everybody was worried he was going to kill off John, and we felt like, no, he's not going to kill off John, but he's going to do something kind of unexpected with it. And I feel like this somewhat keeps that same tone going. I like it. I like it, too. Thanks, guys. I can get behind it. All right, so let's talk about the thing. Well, yeah. he's big and and rocky, and he's not a DC character, so and his We're dark not... his dark is made of orange rock, just like the rest <laughs> of his body. Uh, I was just gonna say we're not talking about Vince's dork, but uh... <laughs> that he's got to get his rocks off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but no, let so <laughs> so there's a there's a line of dialogue in this issue where a villain, a clearly bad guy, calls somebody uh, autistic and does so in a pejorative manner. Um, let me just sort of lay out the two sides of this. On the one side, there are people that are saying that, listen, villains say bad shit all the time, and that it would be different if the character was supposed to be... Um, if there was supposed to be anything redeeming about this character, then that would be a different story. But because you are telling the story of a bad person, bad people say bad things all the time. Who gets murked immediately. Yes, he's he's instantly killed. Uh, the other side of it is that, you know, this is, this is akin to being a slur from a certain perspective. And that, you know, there are people for whom... Being autistic is is not something to. I mean, I, look, uh, you know, I I am not autistic, and therefore I don't feel comfortable necessarily speaking on behalf of those who are on the autism spectrum. But it seems to me like the, the the modern sort of understanding of the term is that it is it's a condition like many others, and one that should not be stigmatized. And so, if you're referring to people as it looks like essentially using an autistic motherfucker or something along those lines, that's that that that's tantamount to hate speech. But again, the other side of it is that well, this is supposed to be a bad guy saying this. So, where do you guys weigh in on this controversy, or do you not weigh in at all? Mm. Zach, do you want to go first, or because I've thought about this a lot. I'm, but if you want to take it away, um, I've not thought about it as much because I miss. I guess I I didn't see much about the conversation about this. Um. 
but so what, what comes to mind to me is like how often the uh, so we you're right we don't have a lot of like slurs used in comics for good reason and things like that um except for like um disparaging terms for women which get used a lot <laughs> touche yeah um and no one ever really seems to be bothered by that not that that means that people should not be allowed to be bothered by this but i think that there's just like a bigger conversation that should be had about how we talk about people mhm and what is and isn't okay in terms of telling a story. Um, because I think if one is okay, then others should be okay in the confines and or in the understanding of this is how people talk and this is how bad people will talk. Right. Um, well, like, I, I saw something. Sorry to interrupt, Zach. I saw something okay. uh, comparing this to, and this is the, this is just you know 2018 in a nutshell. Comparing this to Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Django Unchained, how like that character uses the N word quite a bit, because in the context of the film, it would be weird if he called them African Americans, right? <laughs> like he's he's a slave owning terrible person, and. To get that point across, it is shorthand to have him use racial slurs. That that saves a lot of storytelling to tell you what kind of person he is. He's using that word, and therefore that informs you this person is bad. And that's that's a pretty old trope in, in film and television, to have somebody instantly go to a, a slur or a slur-like term to just give the audience the shorthand of, this is somebody you shouldn't like. Mm-hmm. I think that part of the problem here is that we have this very, very uh, duplicitous relationship with comics where on one hand, people say that comics should be able to do anything and that comics are as legitimate a form of media as exists. And in the same token, people clutch their pearls and say, but what about the children? <laughs> and so I think if this happened on uh, insert like prestige television show here nobody would have batted an eye because it's happening on something that is that is clearly marked as something that where kids are not going to be if on better call Saul you know Saul Goodman called somebody autistic in a pejorative way nobody would or sorry Jimmy McGill nobody would uh would bat an eye about it you know but but because of the context in a Superman comic people have more of a problem with it Yay, nay. Well, and do you and do you think that do you not think that that's legitimate? I don't know if it's legitimate. I mean, it's so here. Do you want? Okay. Yeah, t- give us your take, Vince. So I've thought about this a lot because when I read it the first time, um, and you know, keep reminder, I'm very left leaning and I'm very sympathetic to things like this. You? And yeah, and the first time the the first time I read it, I I did feel kind of gross, like. I'm to be perfectly honest. I was like, that I knew right away that that when we read the, we read the comics before they or 
you know, sometimes if we have enough time, we read the comics before they come out on Wednesday. <laughs> if we remember which books come out which weeks. <laughs> oh, that's 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 a uh, that's for the Patreon members only. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Patreon content to explain that one. But are we gonna um, sell Patreon powder to put in your water? Yes. <laughs> God damn it! That's even <laughs> deeper. That's. Even- that's an inside joke from a Vincent Bryan text. <laughs> Zach, I gotta let you in on that one. I forgot. Oh, man, yeah. a- after hours. Yeah. Um. Anywho. Uh. Uh. Where was I? Oh, the 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 first time I read it, I saw that, and I I felt a little gross, and I said to myself, "That's gonna be a controversy on Wednesday. I know it." And. I th- first of all, I think what Zach said is really smart about how there, there needs to be a conversation about what we can say and what we can't say in the context of heroes and villains and and the the art that we make, etc. Um, I think that's true, and I think people and I'm not trying to I'm not one of those people that says like, uh, well, both sides do it, you know. But I do think both sides need to. Um, have a more open dialogue and not shut down. I think sometimes like, I think sometimes somebody brings up like, Oh, they, okay. For example, they said they called someone autistic in this issue of action comics and right away, a bunch of people who, um, don't mind seeing that stuff or think that that stuff should be in comics right away. They're like, Oh, here we go again. Here you go. Trying to police what's in our comics, you know, and then I also think that like some people on the other side are just too indignant sometimes too, even though I even though I side with them, gen- generally does that make sense? Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. I think in this case what bother I I think it's obviously as all of this stuff is is a case by case basis, and I think if I if I if I think about the context of what I'm doing when I sit down to read action comics. I understand that comics aren't for kids anymore, and that applies to mainline superhero comics too. But they're also they're also they're not high drama. They're they're light. They are. Um, there are other comics that aim to be darker intentionally, and I think they have their place and they have their corners of the DCU. Uh, Black Label, but even stuff like um, Black Label Pitch, Red Tornado, Year One. <laughs> but I would say, like, even there are some mainline DC comics that could get away with something like this. But I think, like, I think you want to air. There are ways to show that a bad guy is a bad guy in a comic like this. And I, I I'm admitting right now, this is 100% subjective. This is my. Uh, what I feel about action comics or what action comics should be. And I know that people will disagree with me and that's okay. But like when I'm sitting down to read action comics, I'm not expecting to see somebody use autism as a pejorative, even if it's a bad guy, you know, I expect something a little lighter than that. And then also it matters what character it comes from because this guy by, you know, for, for the purposes of our conversation, he's like a mafia goon, you know? Yep. And I think, like, Bendis, Bendis responded to this in real life and said, well, I, you know, I've been called this on social media. And he's right. 
if you go to 4chan or whatever, that's one of their uh, insults of choice. You know, it is an it is a quote unquote insult that is levied at people by extremely online people um, of a certain persuasion, and it's something that exists. It's something I think that you can use in art if you are talking about a very specific um, thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a real thing that happens, but let's not pretend that this situation that we're seeing in action comics is a real representation <laughs> of anything. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Like, but, if it's... I, what I... Oh, sorry, Zach. Can I just finish my yeah, thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My thinking was, if you use it in the context of, like cyberbullying or like um you know the way that like after school specials sometimes they were meant for kids but they were meant to teach them lessons or to show them bad beha- model bad behavior as bad right and sometimes after school specials are like special episodes of Webster where he gets groped in a bicycle shop or whatever uh th- th- that kind of content is meant to teach a lesson or it's meant to show you a reality and in that context, if this were like a Superman strip where it was about bullying or cyberbullying, um, and they did that because that is what cyberbullies do, in that context, it feels right. In the context of just having this like random middle-aged mob type guy just toss that off, it feels like a less considered choice. It feels like, oh, well, this is just a thing that shitty people say, you know? And I understand that a lot of people are going to disagree with that or call me like a flaming social justice warrior or something, which is fine. But I just think that that was my experience with this page. Like, I don't think I don't think there's never a time to use disparaging uh, language like that with the intent to disparage. It's just that in this context, it didn't feel right, you know. I I think that how did you how did you refer to it as as not very considered or not well considered? Yeah, because I don't want to call it inconsiderate necessarily because I don't, but it almost kind of I I agree. I think that's a really good way of looking at it because inherently there's nothing. I mean, obviously, there's something wrong with it, but logistically, it is, yes, you're right, this is a thing bad people say, and on that level, it works, but there are innumerable other words that could have been put there that would have had the same effect, um, right? like like ignorant or, or, or I don't know. See, it, it, uh, sorry, Zach, finish, finish up, then I have two kind of quick questions. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's it. I, I, you know, um, go ahead, go ahead. What, what is? All right. So I was going to say when I read that, so I, I had read this week's books a little bit late, so I had seen the controversy before I read the issue, um, and it read to me like a bit of dialogue that in a 1988 comic instead of a 2018 one would (laughs) have would have said retarded. Like that would have been the word yes. used in that context, and one hundred percent. Yeah. Obviously, we we now have have a, a more nuanced usage of that word, and that's a good thing, right? Uh, and so I feel like it was in some ways Bendis trying to 
to use a word that would resonate today, um, I think it's it's well poorly considered, as, as Vince said. Um, but I want to talk about sort of my experience with reading it for a second. So after I read it, I sat there for a minute and I, I sort of did the mental math. I was like, all right, well, you know, this guy is obviously a big dumb mafia guy. He's gonna. He's not. He's not woke in any way, right? This is whatever. But by the end of it, I was like, "Wait, why am I doing all this gymnastics?" <laughs> like it. It doesn't matter. It could have been a million other things. It's probably not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be because of the intent behind it. Because Ben and, and Bendis would say, like, you know, we we have we've had a lot of fun at Bendis's expense over the years on this show. But Bendis said, like, look, thank you for pointing this out. I was wrong. I'm gonna have it changed for the trade. I'm very sorry. Like Bendis took it on the chin. And handles it like like he should have, right? Um, but but the the truth of the matter is like it doesn't. This is not so intrinsic to the plot that we need to sit here and justify why it would be used. It's a throwaway line that ultimately doesn't have any impact on the story. And so in the future, and I think Vince, you were getting at this sort of is in the future, in these kind of circumstances when there's no real reason to go to that level. Creators, just don't go to that level. <laughs> you know, if if you feel there's a slur or something that, that is intrinsically part of the story, I'm willing to hear you out on it. I still probably think it's a bad idea, but I'm willing to hear you out on it. In a case like this, there's just you can't win by using it. There's no reason to. Mm. That was the longest we've ever talked about one comic, I think, guys. <laughs> it's not even close, but... um. Did anybody read Batman Beyond? Hmm. No, I I'm, didn't. I'm scrolling through it and it's not ringing a bell. Okay, well here here's the hilarious part on the uh, on the like uh, the trade dress for the actual cover A. It has the Flash's credits. <laughs> so it says written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Christian Duce, and I was like, oh. That's Fuck. a good team. <laughs> I was like, I'll read this issue. And then I scrolled to the next page, which is the variant cover, and it says Jurgens and Conrad. And I'm like, fuck this noise. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> they secretly Jurgens you. They did. They did. So I did not read this issue. So we'll move on to Batman Kings of Fear. Oh. Where, where the only thing bigger than the ears are Batman's thigh in one panel. <laughs> uh, this is written by Scott Peterson. Yeah, but you all like Kelly, Kelly Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for, okay. So I, Zach, I'm going to presume you didn't even crack this open. Nope. Okay, Vince, you read this. I did. Yeah. Let me let me give you my pitch as to why this is fun. If 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 still a little bit dumb, and then I'll let you retort. Okay. Uh huh. Yep. So Kelly Jones's art <laughs> is a very specific thing. It sure is. Right. And it's a thing that lots of people, like our pal Greg Matasevich, sup Greg, uh, are, are fans of. And I can totally understand why you could look at page four of our, P- sorry, page seven of our PDF and see Batman's thigh that is the size of, I don't know, Rhode Island, Delaware, and, uh, <laughs> And and be like, what the fuck is this? It's also like in his armpit. Yeah, it is. I I don't know how. I mean, I guess the only answer is Pilates, right? Um, but but I will say this: like, there are a couple of pages. So it's it's page uh, what is this on our PDF? Page eight or nine on our PDF, where it's like all the small panels of Batman punching, and the Joker's eye, and then his smile, and all that. 
Like, to me, that is just A-plus comic booking. Come on, no. No, that's super fun. That is, uh, that's really, I think that you would not need dialogue boxes for this entire comic, and you would get everything that's happening in this comic. The Jones is excellent at telling the story he wants to tell through his art alone. Yeah, remember when he did that with that Swamp Thing story that was, uh, that Len Wein didn't have, uh finished it didn't it didn't work there no and look i'm not saying that this is the greatest comic of all time but i'm saying that i think if you're gonna let kelly jones do a batman comic let him do one where like on page 15 of our pdf batman apparently has lost the bottom part of his leg um you know like let him do this crazy story where Batman's ears are nine feet long and everything else. Let him go Kelly Jones to the max. Why, though? What? Okay, be, <laughs> because this is what DC does with their classic creators. They, they bring in Neil Adams to do nonsense <laughs> all the time. And they... Yeah, and, and then I'm told by the same people that this, that this is good. <laughs> I'm not saying this is the greatest thing ever. I'm saying, look, I I think that there's, this is as stylized as superhero comics get. Yes. Yep. And if, sorry, Zach, go ahead. I was just going to say really quick, you've said several times that you're not saying this is the best thing ever, but we could, Vince and I are going to edit this so that you are saying that. Over and over again. <laughs> you guys sweet, editing a podcast, that'll, that'll be the day. Yeah. Oh, there he is. There's the fiery boss. Zing. Yeah. He uh, got no. us. <laughs> now, this is, look, this is not my, this is not my favorite thing, but I have to say, I do enjoy, I, like, this is, this is the Harley Quinn problem. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed looking at this issue. I'll be bored of it by page 10 of next month. Uh-huh. Vince, go ahead. So here's my thing. What what did I tell you? I told you before the podcast. Uh, it's not a disaster. No, I said it's not a disaster. It's it's bad in the exact ways you would have expected it to be bad, which is that I'm just not a Kelly Jones fan. And um, so if you don't like his art, you're not going to like this because it's the most insane version of his art I've seen in like a in one of the superhero books he's done. You know. So, you know, bare minimum, that that's the floor right there. But the 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 thing that bothers me when we talk about Kelly Jones is that there are people that insist that like I'm totally willing. I am totally willing to say that this is a taste thing and I to- I totally get why people who like weird art and I do too just not like this, but like I I get that tastes are different and I I understand that Kelly Jones has his fans. I don't understand the reverse position where people look at this art and they go, "What? you don't like this? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've, I've gotten that b- from people before, you know, like, how could you not like this? And I'm thinking like, look at it. <laughs> Even if you like it, you have to admit that there's th- obvious things about it that are is- aesthetically displeasing to some people, you know? Which I think you've essentially admitted to. Yeah, look, I, again, this is this is not 
I'm very glad that Kelly Jones is not doing the monthly Batman comic. Yeah. <laughs> Although Kelly Jones and Tom King together would be a hoot. Don't even say that. You see, you're just you're feeding the the lie here. <laughs> but yeah, this is fine. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an excuse to get so essentially Batman. It's a scarecrow story, right? But essentially, Batman gets to fight like every one of his major villains. Mm-hmm. Which is fun, sure. Let him do that. That's that's great. Um, that's an excuse for Kelly Jones to go wild. But then, holy shit, that last page! Like, what is going on with his leg there? You can't look at this and say, "What objectively, this is good." <laughs> okay, but and we're gonna get off this topic in a minute. I promise, listeners. But to me, you can't. Not you can't. You obviously can. You are. <laughs> I think it's slightly inconsistent, if not slightly hypocritical, sorry, bud, to say, like, well, you know, this Kelly Jones art is trash, but also bitch about the fine DC house style stuff that's not interesting at all. Like, if I don't bitch about it, though, really. No, but I'm saying, if given the choice between this and, um, oh, there's somebody later this week who is, like, the king of, um... Uh, what book was it? Eduardo Pensica, say. Sure, let's say Pensica, right? Like, you cannot... I would take this 10 times out of 10 versus a Pensica. I don't know that I would. Page. Or Aaron Lepresti. Mm, like, I would, I would take not. this 10 times out of 10 over Aaron Lepresti. I would not. I would take... I would take... Uh, yeoman-like work over this personally but i i am willing to admit that that's that's a subjective take well as usual i'm somewhere between the two of you <laughs> is that true uh, zach or are you just doing a goof i'm doing a goof i'm kind of <laughs> siding with uh, um, brian on this one ah, yes. okay here's the thing though like, Zach just got the guest bed in my house instead of the couch, by the way. <laughs> I prefer the couch. I sometimes sleep on the couch at home, even when my wife doesn't make me. <laughs> um, no. Uh, here's the thing, though. I am not one to bitch about house style. In fact... No, I'm, I'm not saying you are. On the podcast, uh, several times in, in probably the last two years... I've talked about how I don't really think... I mean, I think there is a DC house style, but I don't think it's as omnipresent as people pretend that it is. And I think... uh, And I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I think if you do have a problem with house style, again, that's a subjective thing that I'm totally willing to accept. I'm meeting Kelly Jones fans halfway. They are not willing to do that for me. (laughs) I'm the good guy here. Well, the, speaking of good guys, I have just gotten confirmation that Vince will be interviewing Kelly Jones at New York Comic Con, so <laughs> stay you. tuned for that. Um, all right, let, let's move on to the Damage Annual, written by the aforementioned, I mean, uh, written by Robert Mendetti, illustrated by the aforementioned human-like work of Aaron Lepresti. And I, I have the best comments of the week, guys. So both of you open up your Damage Annual PDFs to page two, the first page of story. Mm-hmm. Every dead body's making that face. <laughs> now that's one our listeners can, can enjoy too. Exactly. Every <laughs> face is a nut face. 
that's even a nut fist right there. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Uh, so I have I have a borderline hot take about this issue. Zach, again, I'm going to presume you didn't crack this open. I did crack it open. I looked at it. Okay. Um, there were a lot of uh, pictures of big of of the Hulk fighting the Hulk and <laughs> yeah. Um, and some some military guys and uh, it it was it was a thing. Yeah. This reminded me of like aesthetically the the like Jeff Loeb Ed McGinnis Hulk era books. I could see that. That's what this issue reminded me of. I Um, think I know what Brian's hot take is. Well, my hot take is that this would have been a better first issue of damage than the issue we got. I knew you were gonna say that. Like this this essentially this sets up um What's the guy's name? Elvis what? Presley. Elvis <laughs> Elvis Ethan Avery. Uh, at, like, the it, king, it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Bravo. Thank you very much. Uh, it sets it gives his character way more depth than we got in the first how uh, was it seven or eight issues we've gotten so far. It lays out sort of the military perspective in a clearer way than the first couple of issues of the comic did. And it's not bogged down by, like, the weird cameos of DC Universe characters. It just lets this be a damage story. And while it's certainly not very good, I think this this would be a much cleaner sort of entry into the, re- the rebooted version of the character than what we got. Vincent? Yeah. Yes, I have to agree. And I, and I know the reason that they did it was because... The big selling point of the dark, twisted age of new DC dang heroes was supposed to be um, like the artist showcase. And so who was on this book? It was uh, Tony Tony Daniel. And so the first two or three issues or whatever were mostly an excuse for Tony Daniel to just let loose. But he could have done that on a story like this because there there are big fight scenes throughout. But like... Remember that first issue? It barely had any dialogue in it. Yeah. It was all just like damage doing his thing. And and now that we've settled down to um, these uh, these books no longer really... I mean, I think they kind of try to sell them still as the artist is like the primary storyteller. Yeah. I mean, but, they, they still credit the artist first in all these. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not sure how true that is. I mean, certainly it's less true than it was when it started, right? Yes. Um, where the artist like literally had direct input about the character and, and what the origins would be, you know? Um, right. If that was the case, then you'd expect a guy like Tony Daniel to still be at least plotting the book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Especially an issue that was so origin heavy, you know? Right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really think that's the case anymore. And, and so I get why they did what they did, but it really didn't make for as satisfying of a story as this would have been if it had gone a different way. Um, and, so unless I think all I, of these books are maybe, I wonder if all of these books, they are plotting like Marvel style, like that, e- that even the individual be. issues that could be, but then I think they still have less, input than the artists who helped develop those first issues, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but I think I like, I think that is what's going on. Yeah, I, I think so too. But this issue even does something really small where like it leaves the possibility open for the past version of damage. 
because it mentions like previous damage, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, experiments, whatever. And I know that I'm the only guy who cares about that as as a damage super fan. But I feel like just something like that it helps connect the universe a little bit. And it it was such a throwaway line; it didn't take away from anything that was here. I just feel like this issue presented the most complete thesis on why there should be a damage comic. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't buy that thesis, it's the first time I feel like there's been an articulate explanation of why there should be. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so I mostly agree with everything you've said, Brian, I think. But uh, I want to I want to point out one particular page with a sequence that I loved, which was the one that had damage picking up all of those little warheads and shoving them in that monster's <laughs> mouth and then punching him in the mouth to make them explode. <laughs> yeah. That was a wonderful, like, if I'm going to read a, a book that's mostly, like, big Hulk heavies fighting, that's the kind of page I want to read. Especially with the, that, that that was a very Kirby page, I felt. It's half Kirby, half itchy and scratchy. <laughs> uh, worker and Parasite. Yep. <laughs> what the hell what was that? What the hell was that? <laughs> Alright, let's move on to Detective Comics number 987. Written by Brian Hill, illustrated by Miguel Mendonca. This is the direct prequel to the just-announced Outsider series by Brian Hill and Dexter Soy, moving over from uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Uh, that, there has not been a release date for that yet, presumably December or January. Um, but this issue acts as, you know, it sort of concludes the backdoor pilot that was this arc. And uh, what do you guys think of it? Zach, you, you've been quiet, so what did you think of this issue? It was all right. It was fine. You know, I haven't been... I, I feel like I've not been the biggest fan of this arc. Um, just because it's pretty generic. Is that do you, is that unfair to say? I don't think it's unfair, but I don't know that I necessarily agree. Yeah, what would Vince said? I, I feel like plot-wise, it's pretty generic. I mean, plot, is there anything... Plot-wise, yes. That's what I mean. Like, there, there's nothing happening here. They do, seems... they do the thing... Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, you go first. I was going to say, they do the thing where, where Brian Hill, in a matter of, you know, four or five issues or whatever, has to make this villain into the most important... You know, like, he's got a history with Bruce, and it's the most important thing in the world... And he's the most formidable foe ever. You know, we can't have a, a villain that's just like a minor throwaway anymore. Um, so they make him seem like this extremely unbeatable, formidable foe with this kind of generic, not really all that credible origin. And then, so yes, I agree with Zach that the story and the villain and sort of the the machinations of everything are kind of generic, but there's more I want to talk about after you talk, Brian, about what I really like about what Brian Hill does. But yeah, so, so you go what, ahead. What I was going to say is that this is sort of a thankless job for Brian Hill because what what I'm sure he was instructed to do was we want to do an Outsiders book. We need to get it established in five or six issues, whatever this arc was. Here are the sort of general beats that you have to hit make it happen. And he was probably told, you can't use the Joker, the Penguin, you know, insert important Bat-Villain here. And so when all of that is considered, 
I think what he's able to accomplish, and I get like Vince, I have stuff I want to talk about in specifics in a minute. I think what Hill is able to accomplish is is pretty impressive, given the fact that this is probably a less than blank slate he was given to start with. Mm-hmm. That 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 leads me to a question that is kind of just about comics in general. Should we should we judge comics based on uh, I guess I don't know if there's a better way to put it than than just like editorial meddling? Like should we treat this book with a handicap? Hmm. I mean that's an excellent question. And it's one that I don't think is is easily answered because I'm sure that there are books that are picked over clean by editorial that we don't realize it because it's handled well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are other books that editorial never touches that seem stilted and we blame it on editorial, but it's really just the the poor skills of the creative team. So I think it's hard to I think it's hard to judge that. Um, like Vince, go ahead and talk about some of the things you really liked about this issue. I just really continue to be impressed with uh, what what Brian Hill does with the established characters because I think he's shown in 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 a really short amount of time um, his ability to play with established characters who we all like with the whole katana thing like so her husband soul is inside the sword right mm-hmm. there's a little beat where Jefferson learns about that and he says creepy and that's just a small little moment it's nothing earth shattering in fact it's something that you would expect to see in a comic like this and he, but he gets that in there and then he does other things later with with established traits of these characters that are kind of done in ways we haven't seen before and so like at the very end when Bruce is giving Jefferson like the, the outsider's job essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I love, this is a subtle thing that most people will probably just read right by, but I love how Jefferson goes through this long thing about, I'm sorry, what happened to you, Bruce? No, no child should have to go through that. Like with his parents and everything. And Bruce just without missing a beat just says, Your team is called the Outsiders. Like yep. <laughs> doesn't respond yep. at all to what Jefferson said. That's a perfect Bruce Wayne moment. And then to follow that up with Superman lowering down and giving him a little bit of that advice. I I love that Hill I I I, I bemoan that writers sometimes um make their comic world feel smaller by not having the justice league characters swoop in every once in a while. And I think that Brian Hill does just enough of that kind of stuff to make the world feel big, to make their, their individual personalities and ideologies imprint on one another. I think he's so good at that. He showed a little bit of that in Michael Cray and it's showing up here. I can't wait to see it in the outsiders. I think he's, he, Brian Hill has a really great mind for, the greater scope of the DCU, even when he's telling a story that's kind of generic, like Zach said. Yeah, I also want to say, like, what I think that this arc did that we're going to be very thankful for in a month or two is this arc allows the Outsiders to just start and not retrace all these footsteps again. 
Like oh, if, yeah, if, we'll see what they do. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> but, but part of me was thinking, like, well, I would rather the Outsiders have just started versus having this arc in some ways. Because really, like you said, there isn't there isn't anything super groundbreaking that happens here. And I think from a storytelling perspective, starting stuff in media res is often more interesting than than than, than going over the origin of everything, right? But I think there were enough nice character moments in this ish, in these issues, specifically the Jefferson Bruce stuff. Like that that example you give Vince is like perfect. That's such a perfect Bruce moment. And what's equally perfect is Bruce telling him at the end, like. You tell Alfred whatever you need, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get it for you. Like Bruce, Bruce uses money to try and and make people happy, you know, to try and help people. Even though he's also Batman, he's the classic throw money at the problem guy. And so Bruce is doing. I feel like just, Hill has such a good take on Bruce that doesn't feel like every other writer's take on Bruce. Yeah. Anything else to say about this issue? I still no, like the art. Fine. Yeah, yeah fine. Yeah, I like. I, I think the art has maybe been the my favorite part of this arc. I'll say that. All right. And it well, is let's... cool. It is cool getting to see this team together for the like come together in this issue. That that panel where they are all kind of uh, um, running towards the. The reader, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I'm excited for the book. All right. Let's talk about Justice League Dark number two, written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Um, so this, I have to say, I, 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 when I started this issue, I was not thrilled with the Wonder Woman prologue, uh, only because... I want to see more of like, nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's, yeah. Well, just go back to Dark Knight three issue number one that Vince gave uh, <laughs> a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10. Cast- Casting some nipples were great. 10 boners out of boners. Yeah. Um, no, I, say, to, I want to see more Bobo and man bat and all of that. And so to have this like, little prologue with Diana. I was like, oh, I don't really love that. But it tied in really well to the issue. I think this issue is really, really fun. It moves the plot forward in a pretty extreme way, but it doesn't feel like it's rushing through anything. And we got... We got some Khalid, Dr. Fate in here. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, it getting getting uh, jobbed, though, unfortunately. Yeah, he'll be back. I know, I know. Will will he? Do we know he will be? I think he will be. Because I remember us talking about that and Tanyan, you know, saying he would be in this, but technically he was now in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, so. think he'll, I think he'll be back. I think he'll be back. Actually, I yeah. think Kent is the one who's going to get jobbed and and Khalid will come back. Um, I, really interesting way to use Dr. Fate, too. Yes. Agreed. Uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno's art is fantastic. Yep. And I, I love the thing that I love about this so much is that I'm a sucker for like medieval ish or fantasy 
supernatural locales mm-hmm. <laughs> and the that big that big black brick tower was amazing the tower of fate yeah the tower of fate yeah um has it always looked like that i think so i don't believe so i don't believe I it was it, that dark in the maybe past. yeah maybe not but it's always been like a spire like that i i'm i'm not recalling yes okay. i i think so maybe it's been i don't know if it's always been like square like that maybe it's been circular but it is always a big tower like that i think sure the the interior looked great um the when they traveled to that uh other area or whatever i i don't know what to call it but it's like it's kind of like this x i mean i think it is part of the tower of fate it's when they're going to see uh naboo Mm-hmm. You know, and they travel to this other like it's almost like a different realm, and there's clouds everywhere, and there's staircases. I believe that's like, the top nowhere. of the. T- I believe that's top of the tower. Sure. Okay. Um. Uh, I think that looks gorgeous. I I love shit like that. I love like old school fantasy supernatural Conan type things like that. Towers, Castle Grayskull, things like that. You know, I think he does a really great job with that art. Zach, what say you? This was really good. Um, maybe my favorite issue of the week. I think. Yeah, I love this. I liked the. Uh, I liked the intro section. I thought that was uh, kind of pushing some boundaries there. So I'm. I'm a little surprised with some of the things that Tynan is doing with this book. You know, just with how kind of violent and gory the first issue was and and you know just kind of generally scary and then um you know that intro and then the uh the reveal of the villain on the last page um this is a this is a good book it feels so tonally different than justice league Uh uh-huh but i love how connected it is like this is how interconnected comics should be working. Mm-hmm. They should have very different tones, but share, you know, enough connective tissue to make it feel like it's part of the same universe. But one of my problems, and I think one of the just sort of generally accepted problems with the New Fifty Two, was that when things felt different tonally, there was nothing connecting them together. So even though the New Fifty Two was launched as this more cohesive universe where everything is in play you know vertigo and wildstorm are folded in and all that if you read blackhawks there was no way that felt like justice league dark nor did that feel like superman right it just all felt so disjointed and this feels unique without feeling disjointed yeah yeah i agree Mm mm-hmm I thought you were going to give me a Blackhawks treatise there. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't remember anything about Blackhawks. Uh, uh, that'll be a book club pick one day. No, please, no. <laughs> there are a lot of really great character beats in this issue. I love the stuff with Swamp Thing and Constantine. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of good Bobo. Mm-hmm. Gosh, and this book looks so good. 
Yeah. I like that Constantine is is a part of the book but not a part of the team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. I thought the Swamp Thing stuff was great. I, I'm really, I'm really very pro this book right now. Good, good stuff. All right, let's get to what I thought was going to be Zach and Vince's favorite book of the week. <laughs> Mother Panic Gotham AD number six, written by Jody Hazard, illustrated by Ibrahim Mustafa. And I'm going to let you guys talk more about this than I will, but I'll say I think this was the best issue of this run. <sighs> I thought this was pretty, pretty plain. Yeah, really? Yeah, I thought this was... We can never be on the same page, my young animal. (laughs) I thought that this was just, like, the most, um, you know... uh, I'm trying to, like, talk tactfully, because I did not like it. Like, I thought it was fine, but it was very... We need to wrap this book up, and with a, a, you know... um, pretty closed ending it, it did all the things it was supposed to do it checked all the boxes vince be the tiebreaker here yeah no i'm i'm more with you brian and i think like i agree with zach that it again feels like oh shit we gotta i've said this about every young animal book but like it, it feels like it feels like they were not intended to be just six issue minis, no matter what anyone says. Yeah. I think personally, I think they were supposed to be 12 issues. Uh huh. It was supposed to be like a two year plan for Young Animal. Mm-hmm. Or even like eight. That... Even eight, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Like an OMAC situation. Or... Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, because, because it really feels like to me, across the board, all these books were like this, including this one, where like, okay, all of a sudden they have to deal with the Jason Todd stuff. And it always felt like there was supposed to be a little bit more with the um, Gotham city sirens characters. Like they felt like they got underserved here. Um, That said, I actually love the way it wrapped up in the very end where uh, Violet comes in and she discovers herself in the Bakta tank in this different timeline that she's in. And then kind of how how that part ends and it and I don't think it ends in like a closed off way not that we are going to get more uh mother panic but it ends in a way that says like look I'm going to be here for a while and I'm going to be out doing my thing and so she actually calls it the first page of a new fairy tale which is I mean that's just like a throwaway line it doesn't necessarily mean anything but I loved how uh, for better or for worse, she's kind of stuck now, and and there there's gonna be it's gonna go beyond this, you know. She didn't. Not everything wrapped up in a really clean way, I don't think, and I liked that. Oh, I thought it seemed pretty clean. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I it, it was essentially kind of like getting back to the status quo for the book, but on this other world. Like she yeah, gets her band back the, together. That's the intriguing part, though. I yeah, I don't know. I I agree. I feel like this is the one that was the most rushed, and because of that, I think it feels safe. Mm-hmm. See, I I had a in the middle of the book, I had a different read on this, and then they didn't do what I thought they were going to do. 
I thought that when Violet found herself in the the back the tank, that it was going to be that this was all happening in like her mind while she was in the back the tank. And I was like, oh, that's a lame way to explain away the different universe. Like, essentially, it was going to be, Zach, you'll get this reference, it was going to be the Flash Sideways from the 60s and of Lost. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I thought they were going to go. And I was like, oh, that's a really shitty way to end this series. And so I'm glad it wasn't that. I'm glad it wasn't that neat of a of a wrap-up. Um, yeah. We just can't agree on Young Animal stuff. <laughs> Or anything I don't tonight. Know. I almost maybe feel like that would have been more interesting. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I mean, at least, I mean, we have seen that other Violet before, but that would have been cool if, like, there was some kind of weird <sighs> twist to it. But I don't. Know, I, I guess I was maybe just like because of the rush nature of like wrapping this up. The, a lot of the, I mean, the. I don't feel like the emotional beats with Jason really landed. Um, the the payoff for the other Violet was really just kind of like, oh, she found out about her, and then she freed her, and she died. And, you know, the confrontation with the brother was maybe the best part of the issue, because that's kind of... That's like the... When you think about it, the biggest like emotional... emotionally cathartic thing for the whole series is her you know her brother is kind of the reason that all of this happened to her right um i thought i think that was maybe the part that landed the best yeah i i just think of all the of the four main well i guess three main young animal books that are wrapping up here this one felt the most um, truncated. Okay. Sure. Um, so I I interviewed Marv Wolfman last week, so I paged through Raven, Daughter of Darkness. Did either of you guys? No. I did, I w- I did read through the Twitter comments, though, of DC's oh. tweet, <laughs> preview tweet, and they were good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will say one interesting thing about this. So in this issue, and for the rest of the series, Wolfman is bringing back Night Force, which is a a team that he has dabbled in for over 30 years now. And uh, he's always kept it where it was supernatural characters that weren't, like, marquee names. They were always sort of throwaway characters. And this incarnation has Zachary Zatanna and Red Devil... And uh, a number of a uh, Clarion, like a number of young DC magic characters in it, and I think that that could be a cool book. Maybe if Wolfman wasn't writing it, <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting to ch- sort of change up the Night Force uh, aesthetic for this book. And supposedly, according to Wolfman, that was Dan DiDio's idea. Uh huh. So, thanks, Dan. Well, you're very welcome. That's just Bernie. <laughs> I mean, my Bernie mode here. Yeah, you are. Oh, you're very welcome, Brian. No, that's even more. It's even more Bernie. <laughs> All right, he's just Bernie now. There's no, there's no distinction. The Theo. 
That's Bernie too. Fuck. Nazi, right. Yeah, we're in a Bernie. Right. Let's take a break. Feeling the burn. We'll come back after we apply some uh, some lotion on this burn, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back. Look, ninety nine percent of all the lotion in the world should not be owned by the top one percent. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with the Suicide Squad Annual Number 1, written by Cullen Bunn, illustrated by uh, Ronan Cliquet. I decided that this is, uh, and I think we might have talked about this one other time, but there is a stat in baseball called Wins Above Replacement. Where it basically says, like, how much better are you than the randomest guy that can call up from the minor leagues? And, like, zero wins above replacement means you are, like, you are at the replacement level. You are the totally average pinch hitter. And I feel like this creative team is the uh, <laughs> is the replacement level DC creative team. <laughs> Where it's fine, it's not bad, but it's not very good either. Fair assessment? Yeah. <laughs> yep. What what would it take for DC to get us to read a Suicide Squad book now? Well, um, can I can I t- can I can I have a slightly hot take? Sure. They're they would be heading in the right direction if they went more of this. I'm not saying this is a good issue. I think it's more in the direction I want things. And can I explain why that is? Sure. Or, or do you guys want to comment on that? No, I can't. I, I am 99% sure Zach didn't read this, so. Okay. No, the, I didn't. So the, the, the thing about this issue is that they, they bill it as an all-new squad, presumably because they wanted to do an annual that they could sell for $5, but... And have Cullen Bunn write it, but not let him use any of the characters except for Waller. Right. And I have to say, we just talked about this, I think, last week. What was my major complaint about Suicide Squad? It was that the team is always essentially the same. With and like, my, And my gripe was that you know they're not going to die. Exactly. And both of those things were changed this issue. <laughs> exactly. And so, the... Like... Maybe with a better creative team, but I but I like that Suicide Squad annual took this completely uh, untouched cast of characters. These characters that have not, you know, you've got Merlin, you've got Ragdoll, and, and then you have a movie. What's that? <laughs> That's a bad Aerosmith reference. Oh, <laughs> you said Ragdoll. I said living in a movie. Oh, yep, yep. There you go. And a bunch of other characters that, like, maybe, I don't know, some of these are new, maybe? Like, is Baby Boom a thing? I don't know. I feel like Tad Jones is referencing Doug Jones, who plays Abe Sapien. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, or the Shape of Water character. Yes. Yep. And I want to fuck it. 
Um, <laughs> but but so this this totally oddball cast of characters um, that just don't like every Suicide Squad issue has to be Captain Boomerang, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, Deadshot. So right there, it was refreshing. Not that like this was the greatest story in the world or all that deep, but you also got a, su- uh, a Swamp Thing appearance out of it. Yeah, and you just Big got this for Swampy. Yeah, but you got to spend some time with some characters that are not so overly familiar, whose shtick you're not sick of yet. You know, mm-hmm. I'm happy to see more Ragdoll. You know, um, living in a movie. And then, <laughs> god damn. Of all the references to make, <laughs> um, <laughs> as long as I have this face, you will have a place to sit. That yeah. that was Steven Tyler's famous uh, tweet. I believe so. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and then and then the one thing that did bum me out, but I understand why they did it, is like they literally pretty much killed the whole team, right? Except for Merlin. Yeah. Except for Merlin, which. I again like I want what you want, which is that so, you should feel like nobody's safe. But, you but I'm kill everybody. Either. Yeah, I also just don't really like killing everybody and basically admitting like, well, we're never gonna do this again. <laughs> you know, <Right>? like, yeah. <laughs> like I just I don't know. I felt like that was overindulgent and just existed to be like to to tell you that don't worry this is a one off and your favorites will be back next time and they're not my favorites so right right you know I, mean, I i i think that the you know the the reality is that if you're going to have a set suicide squad team then you can't have too much mystery of who's going to survive right right and that's and see, the pro- that's the inherent problem with the book and i would have preferred a story like this maybe kill off one or two of these and then and then maybe said like to be continued, and then maybe we'll see see it again. Maybe we won't, but like right, right. at least there's some part. Like you said last week, part of the engagement with Suicide Squad is that there is that sense of danger and that sense of um, you don't know what's next. And I don't know. Yeah, Zach, any thoughts? The team is interesting. Um, I don't. What what's the deal with the lady who has the body hanging off of her? That's some real. Uh, I'm getting some bleed over into this month's manga club book. Um, <laughs> some real Junji Ito stuff here. <laughs> yeah, that 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 uh, head exploding was. Yeah. I, I think that you asked before what it would take for us to read a Suicide Squad comic. And I honestly think right now, the biggest thing you could do is not have Amanda Waller as part of it for a while. Ooh, that'd be (laughs) great. I feel like she has become the most obnoxious character in the DC Universe. She's never used all that well. She's, She's just, she's very, very dull. Hell, I would even be, you know, if you want to shake things up, have her, you know, arrested for war crimes or something of the sort and let one of the current characters be the captain for a while and then build a new team around them. Well, Harley would be the captain. (laughs) 
Um, I will say I find Harley far more palatable in Suicide Squad than I do in her own book because there's just less of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could even do something like where, you know, it's, it's sort of implied in this issue, but I don't know why there couldn't. I think you said this last week, Vince. There couldn't. Why can't there be Suicide Squads running around? And why the, can't why and can't the, we get like you know different different arcs built around different teams? Right. And they're kind of it. Like they pay lip service to that by saying they have a like Suicide XL. Squad XL and Suicide yeah. Squad Eleven and this this de facto suicide squad that's just formed out of nothing. They do wink at that, but I wish they should almost be more of a uh, network of teams than the justice league almost, because I feel like, I feel like this underground, there's so much potential for this underground crossover of kind of like anti-heroes and villains that, that, it it would feel a whole lot legitimate and more legitimate and dangerous and scary if there was more of it going on. Yeah, and I think that it's also a really good way to act as a glue of the DC universe. Like, for instance, what was the name of the fucking Detective Comics villain this week? Oh, uh, Karma. <clears throat> Karma. So let's just say hypothetically that at the end of the issue, Waller's people take Karma away. Now, you may never see Karma again, or you might see Karma in six months, but it, it sort of gives, if all the books, if the implication that can be set up even just in the Suicide Squad Club book itself is that whenever a meta-villain is captured, Waller's worked out a deal to get them. Uh-huh. And it just then connects, it just connects the stories more. You could have those villains pop up organically in Suicide Squad, and then you can do stuff like, you know, let's say that for the Sink Atlantis mission... There's no fucking reason for Harley Quinn to be there. But if Black Manta is the point person, and then you can have a couple of other water-based villains, that's that should be fine. You shouldn't have to shoehorn Deadshot and Harley into everything. Right. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Teen Titans 21. I, I legitimately laughed out loud at the cover that says, it's the newest Teen Titans. <laughs> Because that's just such a dumb, <laughs> dumb way to brand it. <laughs> it might as well just say, this ain't your grandma's Teen Titans. Yeah, but did you see uh, on like the first story, or no, it's the second story page where you get the title shot. Uh-huh. Where the narrator, I forget the guy's name, <laughs> who quote unquote dies. Yeah, um. um... Roundhouse, right? Yeah, Roundhouse. Yeah. Roundhouse says we're the friggin' Teen Titans. Yep. That is so close to like a Vince joke. Did <laughs> you write this? Yeah, I did. We're the Are you dang- Adam Glass. We're the I am Adam Glass. See, it sounds like a fake name. It it's does. my pen name. Wasn't George Glass the George name Glass on the Brady, was, on the Brady yes. Bunch that was uh, Marsha's fake boyfriend? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. I also can anybody. Do you guys remember the Nickelodeon show Roundhouse? It's part of Snick. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I can't. I can't help uh, singing that theme song whenever I see this guy's name. <laughs> I think of the dad in the recliner that was on wheels. That, like, yeah. Around. Yep. The one joke, the only joke I can remember from that show is that they did a song parody uh, of uh, "I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That," and it was called "I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Eat Meat" by Vegetarian Loaf. <laughs> 
Top notch joke there. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Zach, did you read this issue? You know I didn't for reasons. <laughs> Why do you keep asking me? You know the books I read, Brian. I, I forgot which books you read. Zach, what happened? <laughs> um, you don't have to answer that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Trepid listeners will put two and two together. Yeah. Was it just me or was Roundhouse's haircut like even more the sleepy prince from The Princess Bride? <laughs> This week, before. No, the Sleeping Prince was Spaceballs. I'm sorry. Spaceballs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Spaceballs, you dumb piece of shit. I am a dumb piece of shit. I got my sleepy, I got my shitty princess convinced. I'm confused. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Sleepy Prince from Spaceballs. There we go. What was his name? Prince uh, Valium. Valium, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a Mel Brooks joke if I've ever heard one. Yes, it is. <laughs> Um, he looks like Prince Valium here, yeah. <laughs> um, I liked this issue more than I had any right to, I think. It's fine. I I like Roundhouse a lot. I find him and charming. Roundhouse. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. I find him charming. Um, I think I don't like Damien in this. But I liked Roundhouse a lot in a very Roundhouse-centric issue. Mm-hmm. I also like this Jin character, and her powers were really fun. Yeah, I, I'll say that I like the new characters more than I like the way that yes. Glass is running the old characters. I don't like his Wally, uh, Wallace rather at all. Yes, I don't like his Wallace. I don't like his Damien. Yeah. And I, I don't... I don't know enough about the about the uh, Red Arrow yet. To I feel I like mean, we haven't gotten enough Red Arrow. But we got a fair amount of Emmy in uh, in the Green Arrow books. Yes, but I'm saying the way Adam Glass writes. Oh, okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, see, to me, those three characters are written the worst of the bunch. Hmm. Um, I also I I feel like uh, I love Bernard Chang. I think Bernard Chang is great. I feel like his Wallace costume looks off. I feel like it's very high waisted for some reason. Oh yeah, I'm just noticed. I would not have noticed that had you not said that. Yes, uh, costumes not ten out of ten. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, this is like a, a a nice. But again, I'm gonna say the same thing I said about damage. I think this would have been a better first issue. This gives you everything you need to know about the team. It shows the team doing what the team does best. Mm-hmm. And it's a self-contained story. Now, the roundhouse thing would have felt really abrupt in the first issue of this. Yeah. Um, but. But I also think, I think they screwed the pooch with the way that they came with that first issue, you know? Agreed, yeah. I think my estimation, when I when I see this book in, in when I see it come up in our uh, reading list, I kind of groan, even though when I actually read it, I don't like it all that much, but I don't I don't hate it at this point. But that very first that Teen Titans special, special, yeah, I hated with a passion. It completely adjusted my expectations for what this book was going to be. And without that, it would just be like, eh, so this is a meh Teen Titans book. Fine, you know. Yeah. 
but that's all I really have to say about that. Yeah. Um, what are the odds that Roundhouse is actually gone? He's not. Zero? Yeah. Zero. Okay. Let's talk he's, about he's the- too young to die. It says that at the yeah, bottom of the last page. Um, let's talk about The Flash 53, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Christian Duce. And uh, this this sort of acts as a uh, a bit of a catch up on who Commander Cold is. Uh, I did love the elongated maniac. Yeah, that's that's right up my alley. I kind of gasped when I saw it because <laughs> <laughs> it's a twisted. Yeah, very twisted. Yeah. Imagine Ralph Dibney, but if he was the freaking Joker. So what do you guys think of this issue? Zach, uh, did you read this one? I did read this one. Um, you don't yell at Zach. You don't yell at Vince when he asks you what you read. <laughs> that was the first time he'd asked me, and I realized we are getting to the the last one, so I can forgive you if you don't remember the ones that I did read. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. So this is a case of I, I feel <laughs> I feel like almost every book this week I either liked the art or I liked the story. Uh, <laughs> this one I liked the I liked the plot. It was good. I didn't care as much for the art. Really. This was very. Um, if I'm gonna harp on DC House style, this is um, this is right there, which. I think this is less a problem with like quote unquote DC house style. I feel like I just say that anytime art looks um, standard. Yeah, just just normal. It's just it's just, just normal just art. Normal. Just normie art. Normie art. It doesn't have any like real distinctive flair. I couldn't I couldn't peg this necessarily to any particular. Oh gosh, any particular artist. This was just okay. To me, I get that. I I, I like Duce's art or Duce. I never know how to say that name. Um, I feel like part of the reason that it feels uh, house styly, if it does, Zach, is because I feel like the the hulked out trickster is just like a very visually uninteresting take on the character. Right, right. But I I think it even applies to like. Flash, Commander Cold, Iris, I think it's everybody. Also, also, I think another thing is Duce's art feels very um, posed to me mm-hmm. versus some of the more dynamic artists that we've had, like Dia Gemenico and, um, and Porter. Um, and um, Googe. And Googe, of course, the Googe. Yeah, where's um, Googe been? Dang. Yeah. Get my gooch on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Vince and Sorry. I are just like <laughs> mouths agape. <laughs> oh, you want your gooch on too. <laughs> Is that hair gel? <laughs> um, uh, 20-year-old joke. Never get old. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Um, I, I, 
I think I fall in between you two probably <laughs> on the art because I don't I don't dislike it, but there are some there are some sequences or pages that look better than others. I think I'll argue with that. I think the Iris pages don't look great. I think Iris doesn't really look like Iris to me. Um, I'll agree with that too. I think the the prior sequence to that where the Flash is running. That's beautiful. That looks really great, I think. I think that looks pretty dynamic. Uh, I love the like the hand pose and I mm-hmm. and and uh Commander Cole on the bike beside him looks re- that's really great and I actually think it plays well with the hulked out trickster up above smashing the car. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really nice page. I'd read that page all day. But then some other pages are not as not as good. Yeah. Even even when they include some of the same elements. I agree. We've um, talked in the past about how there are certain supporting characters in various books that just ha- that there's just not a defined enough um, set of traits to make you notice that they are who they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like if you put this, if you put the last five issues worth of irises in a row and took it out of the context and said, "Which character is this supposed to be?" I don't know if I could point out. <laughs> you know, there's just not enough. Unless you're given the context, it's hard to tell who Iris West is at this point. Yeah, she needs a new haircut is what she needs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just – that's bullshit. Um, <laughs> uh, I also thought the the kind of situation that Barry gets himself in at the end with uh, Sheriff Clark there was uh, <laughs> an interesting one um, as far as – uh, him having to end up in prison so that, you know, he essentially makes a deal with Sheriff Clark so that Sheriff Clark doesn't abuse uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and so that like, Commander Cold when he's running tests on Trickster, that it's, that everything's on the up and up, you know? Yeah. Um, That's a really interesting conflict. Uh, I, I love when that's a very, that's a conflict that Barry would very much get himself into, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a very flash con con conflict for him to have to defend one of the rogues against some outside agent, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I really like the way that Williamson navigated that. See, I thought your take on this issue, Vince was going to be that the hulked out, Flash looks very much like Kelly Jones. <laughs> There's one page in particular. It's it's the uh, the penultimate story page, page 21, where he's looking down at his hands, uh-huh. and that's like a super Kelly Jones panel there. Sure. Okay. That's fair. Anything else to add? No. All right. Let's uh, talk about the silencer, number nine. Written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Patrick Zercher. Even though it says Bogdanovic on the uh, on the cover, it's Patrick Zercher. There's yep. a bait and switch. That is a Bogdanovic cover, one. though. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, so in this issue, it's uh, the silencer takes her family on vacation to essentially the superhero immersion theme park, and it's weird because obviously. It's like Superman, but the Superman we meet in the beginning is like a color reverse Superman, <laughs> and they call him. What do they keep calling him? Um, Mister Soups. Yeah. 
And like it's it's never really clear. Mr. Supers. Mr. Yeah, Supers. which is it, what the the kid calls him all the time. Right. And, but we're not really sure if that's just like the kid saying Paschetti version of Superman. Yeah. Or if this is like the the mascot of the theme park that's the color swapped Superman. It well, does it he, does he's seem also, like Go ahead, go ahead, Zach. Well, he's also called like uh he has like a um new Superman action figure that he always calls Mr. Supers too. All oh, the... I I didn't realize he called that Mr. Supers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 Brian, the... have you never read The Silencer before? <laughs> I remember him having the thing. I don't remember him saying that. Yeah. Um, he says spoilers. He says it again in next week's uh, silencer annual number one. So, oh, okay. Uh, why did you read that already? Because uh, I'm a big dumbhead. <laughs> <laughs> I we didn't. We, I didn't want to call you out there, Zach. I just thought we would. I just thought that there was opportunity for a joke there. I don't want to put you on blast. Next week's show is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just thought it was like a fun, like, uh, I mean, obviously the rest of the park uses the actual Superman terminology and imagery. Cause you do see signs of, uh, yes, yes, yeah, exactly. of him with the regular costume on and, and they call things Kryptonian and bizarro and, and it's not like it's all knockoff. Right. But I thought it was fun that like maybe this to identify that it wasn't the real Superman and, yeah. and to, to make it seem kind of like a knockoff, they had this like inverted color Superman and, uh, he's basically yeah. Mon-El. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a combination of Mon-El and the red Superman from that issue in the silver age where it's the, the blue Superman, and the red Superman. Yeah. But it's like Dolan duck instead of Donald duck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes. Yeah, so aside from the theme park stuff, this issue was a big nothing. Yeah, I I really did find the theme park stuff charming, but it was very like uh, Flintstones, Water Buffalo. Fred needs to be two places at once, and yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I feel like every every DC comic that tries to do an in universe superhero like environment is essentially just trying to do the end of kingdom come yeah yeah in that restaurant mm-hmm. which has the best uh the best batman superman interaction of that whole comic comes in that scene mm-hmm. where batman's steak isn't well done enough so superman uses his heat vision to uh <laughs> cook it more that's right uh yeah I'm with you, Vince. That the the theme park stuff was charming, if if unnecessary, I suppose. Yeah, that that that's that's maybe the best way to describe all these books. Like <laughs> there are parts of them all that do charm me a bit and that are okay, but there's nothing in these New Age of Heroes books, even sad sadly the terrifics, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, that I feel like is going to be anything I really remember a year or two from now. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, I was gonna say the unexpected might break that, but that that latest issue wasn't as. Oh, I think I think I am liking the unexpected the best of all of the. Oh, I am for sure. Yes, for sure. It's between that and the terrifics. Yeah. For me. 
Uh, but let's talk about the Terrifics. Terrifics number seven, written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Dale Eaglesham. Uh, we finally get some Tom Strong action in the comic. And uh, we get Stupid Sexy Rex. <laughs> and uh, Zach, what did you think of this issue? Man, you'd think this was uh, influenced by Fantastic Four or something. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that, pal? Oh, man, I don't know. Like, uh, Dr. Doom. Oh, Dread Guy seems pretty familiar. <laughs> and um, and uh, you remember that time Dale Eagles, Sam, uh, he drew Fantastic Four? It looked a lot like this. <laughs> His Tom Strong is absolutely Reed Richards. Yeah, it's Reed Richards like uh, after 30 days of Alex Jones' supplements. <laughs> He's just redder and a little thicker. <laughs> yeah. You now when I talk InfoWars. I do, yeah. Info Rorschach. Yeah. Seems like so long ago. It does. But we were so young and innocent then. <laughs> Folks. <laughs> Folks. Uh, it's a gay bomb. <laughs> so, uh, so aside from the obvious pastichiness of the Fantastic Four here, What'd you guys think of the issue? Oh, it was really good. That I sounded think. sarcastic, but no, I think it was really good. Okay. <laughs> the way you said it sounded sarcastic. Well, I didn't get mm. sarcastically. Okay. No, I thought this was really good. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed this issue more than I have the last few. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the Tom Strong stuff is fun, but I uh, I really enjoyed the. Uh, some of the Plastic Man stuff. I love how all the artists in this book so far have done Plastic Man stuff I haven't seen before. Like the way Plastic Man was relaxing on that bed where he's just like super, super stretched out all over the place. Post-coitus. Yeah, I feel like I've never seen Plas drawn that way before. And uh, I like that. You know he just cranked one out. Of course he did. Yeah. Um, he, he deflated his balloon. <laughs> Pulled on his putty. <laughs> this was my issue of the week. Oh. Uh, yeah, this was wide, big guy. This was my favorite because it's pastiche upon pastiche, and I love that. Like Tom Strong already, right? So, right. so when when Alan Moore was writing Tom Strong. It was basically an homage to pulp sci-fi heroes. It was his version of Flex Mentallo. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was <laughs> when you said Flex Mentallo, I thought you were going to say something else. Um, so I had a different response ready. What, what, was, what was I supposed to say in your version? I thought you were going to say like, um, uh, uh. Now I've now I've lost the name, but it, the pulp that pulp hero, um, fuck, 
the pulp hero that's kind of like Tom Strong. Um, oh, um, like di- like he had a dynamite. Doc Savage. Yes, Doc thank Savage, you. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Like that, and then except you know, updated for the very sort of '80s Alan Moore aesthetic, um, with like a with like deeper intent in the story and everything, and then say what you will about whether it's a good or bad thing that Jeff Lemire gets to use Tom Strong here, but then to throw a character who's already a pastiche of something into a pastiche of the Fantastic Four and to watch kind of... It almost demonstrates how much... how well Tom Strong mixes with that world or is already kind of also what the Fantastic Four is. You know what I mean? Like him fighting off this giant robot that's crashing through Millennium City is may as well be like a a, a early issue of Fantastic Four, you know, of Lee and Kirby stuff, you know. Um, and so I loved like I loved how it's it's a very Tom Strong is a very different thing. But you see how easily it slips into this world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just thought, like, it was a super fun sort of re-explanation or redefinition of who this character is. It, it felt very true to life. Like, I think, I think Lemire did right by the Tom Strong character, uh, whether you think it's, it's right or not that he got to use him. Um, and I love the scene of the Nazi getting punched so hard one of his teeth fly out. That was good. Um, what else? I mean, everything was good about this. The doc- the fake Doctor Doom was awesome. Um, Plastic Man jacking it. I mean, everything. Everything's- <laughs> everything you could want. Yeah, everything you could want. Eagle Sham's art is really special, too. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait for that Shazam book. Oh God, yes. Yeah, he's gonna draw a great Shazam with an awesome chin. Yep. All right, let's get to our last book of the week, Wonder Woman number fifty-three. Uh, by the way, I, I meant to mention this last week. It's interesting to me that DC is doing their oversized issues at fifty instead of fifty-two, mm-hmm. because for so many years now. Everything 52 has been so over the top and celebrated, but it seems like they've really moved on from that now. I wonder if we'll get to 52 issues of Walmart Giants. I think that's pretty... uh, (laughs) It's not going to happen, I know. I was going to say pretty damn likely. Vince will get us there. (laughs) No, those New York City retailers that are apparently driving out to the burbs and buying up all the copies and bringing them back to their stores are going to going to get us there because they're going to have sell through like you wouldn't believe on these issues. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. Anyway, Bow of Raw in Wonder Woman written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by ACO. Um, more really great ACO art here. I, uh, I could, I could read ACO books all day long. Some yeah. Really fun layouts. Um, even if I felt the story was not 
again, I, I feel like a theme of Orlando's books in Rebirth so far has been I like the concepts more than I've liked the actual issues a lot of times. Um, but visually, this book was just awesome. I think this was my second favorite book of the week. Tell us why. Uh, mostly all the same reasons I liked the last issue. Mm-hmm. Just more of that. <laughs> so, so sorry. <laughs> um, I guess Vince wasn't here. I he was probably here. listened to I, the episode. I listened to it though. I'm I'm a good boy. You're a good boy. Um, yeah. No, this was just. It looked really great. A lot of really f- big fun ideas. Um, I like these characters together. Just more Orlando doing big crazy stuff. I love that um, page with the four panels of the. You've got like a a different a- two different Aztecs, the DC one million Wonder Woman, and then another Wonder Woman type character with the different like incarnations of the Aztec god. Like that's all. Yeah. That's you know right up my alley there, and I I love the way that ACO does the the different inset panels. Um, like I, like two pages after that, where there's kind of the the zigzag across the page of the 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 close ups on on faces and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like design wise, this this issue's way up my alley. Vince, yeah, everything Zach said, just reiterating that the art is incredible. I love what ACO does. One of the most inventive um, layout artists in Big Two Comics, for sure. Yeah, we need to get him on a regular book again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all oh, the Midnighter stuff. Oh, some of my... I can still see some of those panels, like Midnighter fighting on that train or whatever, where there's all the different panels as yeah. he's running through. And, oh, my God. Just such good stuff. That's comics, baby. <laughs> Well, that's the DC3 cast for this week, baby. And uh, next week, well, Zach can tell us all about it, but <laughs> aside from uh, Batgirl, I don't know what that means. Uh, aside from Batgirl and Scarlet, it's uh, it's annual city, baby. <sighs> Our favorite time of the year. Annuals yeah. and Looney Tunes, even? Yep. I can't wait to see what the freaking Joker and Daffy Duck do together. I'm yawning. Yeah, I'm so you're bored with that already. <laughs> that is that book is just the most DC three nap we've ever seen. Scott Lobdell <laughs> and Brett Booth. Brett Board Board Breath. Board Breath. Did I already make the joke that? Uh, that the Joker is going to be twisted? <laughs> you didn't, but that's good. So, uh, we'll get to all that next time. Until then, you can follow two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is a nap. I'm not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> good on you. I'm at Wilker Fox. Yeah, so the most interesting and best tweeter of the three of us is retired. <laughs> yeah, so... He's done. He's hung up his 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 typing gloves and <laughs> yeah. As far as you know, 
I always pictured Vince tweeting from one of the screens from Minority Report, where he's just like sliding information in front of him and then retweets drill. <laughs> uh, buy drill's book, by the way. Oh, I plan on it. <laughs> so until next time, uh, stay frosty, folks, and get ready for the silence right now. He listens to the the healthcare one that I do sometimes with one of my pharmacy school friends. Wait a second, you're cheating like, on us? Yeah, I didn't know about this secret podcast. You've I've never definitely told, told you. No, guys you have Oh, this I is tweet never. about it sometimes. There is lipstick on sometimes. your collar, motherfucker, and you are trying to backpedal out of this. <laughs>